Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We are your weekly Star Trek discussion show, all things from episode reviews, movie discussion, we talk about Star Trek news. This week is week number two, where we kind of do a little bit more of a unique best of series. So, you know, we take a couple episodes from a season, we talk about the episodes, but we have to, we pick a topic. So like best space battle from this season or best romance not necessarily best episode. We're talking about the best aspects of those episodes. Oh, what was what's the Klingon word that I wanted to call it? The Mechma. No, the Mechba. <laughs> Mechba. It, w- yes. it wasn't the Kuvma. <laughs> no, this is the Mechba. The Mechba. That's right. But anyways, now that we got the description out of the way, I'm one of your regular hosts, Gregory Bosco. Last week I was one of the guys fighting for an episode. This week I'm going to be serving as the uh what, ceremonial judge. Arbiter. The Arbiter. The Arbiter of Succession of Episodes. Yes. So, guys, introduce yourselves and then introduce your episode title, but don't dive into your episode yet, just so the fans know what we're talking about. Derek, after you. Sure. So, my episode is Haven, which is episode 11 of season one, and I am Derek, also known as the Star Trek Dude. (laughs) And uh, my episode is called We'll Always Have Paris, uh, also from season one. And uh, I am Jeremy. Hello. So now that we've got the two episodes out of the way, last week, who went first between Derek and I? Was it Derek? No, you went first. Oh, I went first because we went by episode order. Yeah. It was like a million years ago. Who knows? It was kind of, it does kind of feel like a million years ago, doesn't it? Well, there's been a lot of gaming news. The three of us are gamers. We've been watching E3 for like five straight days. Uh, can we just talk about E3 for half an hour? <laughs> no, that's we got a different we got a different show to talk about E3. Yeah, that's Gamer Womp Heroes. I'm yeah, not check on out that Gamer one. Heroes. Yeah, check out Gamer Heroes, which is also part of Heroes Podcast Network. <laughs> but um, Haven comes first on the timeline, doesn't it? It does. Yes, it's episode 11, and we'll always have Paris episode 24. So, did we we did we mention the the topic of the episodes? You had it in your list of potential topics, but this week we are arbitrating the best romance episode of season one. And again, viewers and viewers, listeners, (laughs) when we're talking best romance, we're the important thing to remember. And the three of us have had this discussion. We're not necessarily talking the best episode. We're focusing on the best central aspects of a certain part of the story. Like the best last week was best of Wes. We weren't talking about the best episode from season one. We were talking about kind of like what we thought was the best Wesley Crusher episode. Oh, and Derek, do you want to uh, announce the viewer poll results of that episode? I do. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was just about to bring it up. So for those who do not follow us on Twitter, you should follow us at Heroes Podcasts. 
And we put out a poll when last week's episode, uh, a few hours after last week's episode went live, allowing you, the listeners, to vote for which episode you thought was the best of West from TNG season one. Um, and we, um, we, it's a tight one. This was, this was a tight vote. It was 54% to 46%. And it was coming of age over the naked now. So, mm. <laughs> um, since Jeremy had also voted for coming of age, we don't have any, um, controversy or recount i don't believe so wait was that my pick i thought i'd pick the naked now i thought you picked coming of age you oh i picked coming of age i did yeah you're right don't confuse me sorry <laughs> i know how delicate you are um so yeah so if you um are following along with us if you ch- check our twitter account a couple of hours after our episode goes live on fridays um, we will have a poll for that week's topic, and the poll will be active for uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and most of Monday for you to vote yourself um, for which episode you think is the best of the two. And we'll, of course, discuss that in the following week's episode. So there you go. And are we going to do that for the coming topic or the previous topic? I thought we were doing it for the topic that we had discussed in that week's episode so people could listen to our conversation, our debate, and then use that to make their decision. Hmm. Okay. We can always change it up down the road. Yeah. So, but that's what we're going with at the moment. Yeah. Stick with that for season one, at least. Exactly. Exactly. So keep an eye out for that. You can follow us at Heroes Podcasts, or you can follow just this one show, if you only care about this one show, at Red Shirts Pod. P-O-D. And uh, that's a new account that we've kind of started up. We're, we're just getting it going. So feel free to follow us there. All right, All right. So am I starting things off with Haven then? You are starting this episode off with Haven. Okay. So Haven, for those who don't remember, uh, I'm just going to read real quick the IMDB synopsis. While on a mission to a planet called Haven, Counselor Troy meets her husband-to-be a marriage arranged by her father years before, as the Enterprise encounters a ship far deadlier than any combat could provide. Uh, which is just, I mean, that doesn't tell you anything about the episode. Um, so Haven is the introduction to Loxana Troy, who is one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. Um, basically, Troy, Deanna Troy, is arranged marriage set up with this guy and um she's not really into it she's feeling really bad about it she doesn't want to do it and um he is disappointed when she he finds out who she is because he has been painting and sketching all of these images of this woman and he just believed that since deanna is beta zed and he believes her to be telepathic of course we know she's uh, an empath because she's only half beta zoid Uh, He thought that she was projecting herself into his brain. And we find out that this is not the case, that um, this is obviously some different person and he's disappointed. And the episode focuses on their building a relationship together while their parents are bickering with each other and Picard is awkward the entire time. And the moral of the story is that he, uh, Wyatt, the, the guy does actually long for and picture a real woman. This person is an actual living person uh, from another 
a civilization hundreds of light years away. I guess it could could be thousands. We don't really know where um, where they're from, but um, as far as like location is concerned. But we find that this woman exists. That um, uh, that uh, she looks just like his sketches, just like his paintings, and they had been drawn together across vast distances because they are meant to be with each other. Yeah. Well, what's, what's, what's that kind of grunt for? Come on. That's rough, it's just, man. It's not, there's nothing sci-fi about it. It's just like, it's magical. I mean, there's some sci-fi involved because, you know, you've got, of course, the planet um, that's at, you know, Haven the planet is at severe risk from this um, this alien ship that's shown up and we're to believe that, you know, they could wipe out the entire planet uh, because, you know, all their, the tele- uh, the Torellians are all gone and, and all of that. But, um, so it does focus on that a little bit. It's like this, oh, what's... What's the old term for like a, a boat, a ship that's like carrying a ship. disease? Not not a go, not a ghost ship, but you know, it, you know that it's carrying some a disease. Plague ship. Plague ship. Thank you. Yeah, a plague ship. That's what it is. So the Torellian ship is like a plague ship, and the Enterprise either has to destroy it to save Haven or try and save the poor Torellians who are supposed to be extinct. Um, and this is it. This is all that's left is this group of eight people, one of which is this woman that Wyatt has been imagining. And she's been imagining him. You see on her ship that she's got sketches, too. So I guess it's a little convenient that they're both artists. Um, but, you know, they both have been picturing the other for their entire lives and had to convince other people that this was real. And in her case, she had to convince the last half a dozen people of her entire civilization to to try and find this one guy who you know probably didn't exist so the whole story is about kind of fate and destined love about there being a soulmate and regardless of how far apart you two actually are you know if it's meant to be the universe will bring you together right and of course rather than it being you know on earth here where you could be states or countries or you know hemispheres apart this is hundreds of light years well, and of course, the Wyatt also does happen to be a doctor, so he kind right. of fits. He kind of fits that romance interest while also being a doctor to help with the Torellian plague. Yes, yes, I think that's that's a great point, Greg. That you that you bring that up. So he's not just you know her her kind of destiny. He's the destiny of the Torellian people. Yeah, but there's no like mechanics behind any of it. There's no reason. There's no like logical star trekian explanation for why these two people were connected or bonded or shared this fate they're not some specific alien race that has like genetic bonding as part of its lore it's just he it's just all convenience it's like extreme convenience with mild unexplained telepathy cuz he's just a human he he doesn't have any you know galaxy spanning telekinetic or telepathic powers and and they are just some sick see species that's been slowly i guess in stasis or whatever kind of floating around getting destroyed by different alien races it's just like none of it made any effort to explain why any of it was happening it was just and it was so shoved into the last 10 minutes of the episode 
Well, it's not shoved in because it, it's fairly immediate. When we meet Wyatt, we find out that that's, Deanna's not what he expected, and they have that conversation about the paintings. Yeah, we get so his we, half of it, but then they kind well, of drop that pretty quickly. Like, he doesn't obsess about his paintings. He starts making out with Deanna Troy and, and flexing his nuts at Will Riker and, uh, like, all of the, like, whole second act and, and last part of the first act and first part of the third act is entirely focused on the two of them and what's happening on the ship. And it, it's not until the very, very late in the episode where it's just like, oh, they like Wyatt and and he sees the girl and teleports over and now he's gone. Well, I think you're you're looking at it a little too techy, right? Because this is a character episode. It's not about technology or science fiction. It's a, it's about the idea of love, right? And what we're talking about here is romance. This romance by itself is not a technical or logical thing, right? The idea is that romance is beyond logic and it doesn't yeah, have to explain why so like, these people were drawn to each other they were that's the point yeah but they make when they do this kind of thing in later episodes and in later like trek iterations there's at least some pseudoscientific explanation as to why not just love like like love is great and all but love isn't enough this is star trek there needs to be <laughs> An explanation. Like, well, no, when, wait, I think that sometimes there needs to be an explanation, but there are plenty of Star Trek episodes where they don't get the answers to all of the questions because it's beyond their technology or beyond their understanding. There are other episodes where people are drawn to each other across vast distances and those have different explanations, but those episodes are also telling different stories. It's not supposed to be the same. Mm. Right? This one is not about the biology or the physiology or anything like that. This is straight up about romantical destiny. And plus it's kind of fun watching Troy almost fall for Wyatt a little bit. Cause there's a scene what's well, on what's when they're on the holodeck, right? Where he, when Wyatt legitimately asks her, do you want to go through with this? And she says, yes. And it, it's kind of, I hate to say it like this, but it's kind of fun seeing Will Riker get knocked down a peg or two. <laughs> Not because I don't like the character, but you guys you guys know I preach this all the time. I like shows that we can relate to, and we've all been in that th- that situation in real life, for better or for worse. Even if it's not romantic, we've all been in that situation where we feel like we might be replaced during something. And nobody wants that. Nobody likes that. And yeah. Riker obviously does not like it at all. I mean, most of the episode is circled around... Deanna and Wyatt trying to come to terms with their situation. So the whole thing is about romance because the two of them don't feel romantic with each other, but they feel a sense of obligation to each other. And meanwhile, Deanna and Riker do feel that romance and you see their longing for each other, even though it doesn't really come to fruition until the movies. um, You see that they really want to be together. They have that romantic connection but they're not allowed to continue it because of this obligation out of culture and family that's been promised by a previous generation, right? So it's about putting romance aside for Deanna to fulfill an obligation that she has. Meanwhile, Wyatt's really there because of his romantic connection to this other woman. Which... I don't know. Calling it romantic seems inaccurate because it's he doesn't know her. 
there he's not in love with her he's like obsessed with her he knows what she looks like and he's been fixated on her image since he was young like that's not that's not romantic that's creepy if anything the fact that she happens to have felt the same way about him is great but well like, so i'm going to use something from how i met your mother which is the Dahmer or dobbler effect right whether it's creepy or not depends on how it's received since she thinks that she thinks the same way she's been longing for him she's been searching for him for him it's a, the dobbler effect it's wanted so it's not creepy for either of them if anything it's destiny and fate coming to fruition who is dobbler you know um holding the boom box over his head the john cusack Okay. Yeah, in the, in the say rain anything. Thing. Yeah. Yes. Th- thank you. Say anything. Yeah. Exactly. Versus you know Dahmer, right? Like it, Jeffrey Dahmer. That, yeah. Yes. So it's it, it's good or bad based on how it's received. In this case, both of them feel the same way. Both of them were really seeking out each other, even if it was at a subconscious level. So it was wanted. So for the two people involved, it's not creepy. And even for the people on the ship in the situation, it wasn't shown as creepy either. Because if anything. Because of his medical background, he might have salvation for the Torellian people. And Deanna now gets to be released from this obligation. And if she wishes to and ends up doing years later, pursuing her romantic interest in Riker. So at the end of the day, every major plot point is focused around romance one way or another. Yeah, I guess as far as the pairings go, you have like... uh what's his name in Deanna who are obligated to be Wyatt. Wyatt. Yeah. Wyatt and Troy who are obligated to be with each other, even though they're like, we would rather be with somebody else. We have <laughs> Wyatt and alien blonde who are, don't know anything about each other, but are in love with each other. Cause they have some type of like Kylo Ren Ray force bond from across the universe. Uh, and then we have Riker and Troy who both have to give up on each other because of this familial uh, obligation that, you know, that Troy has. And then we have like uh, Wyatt's parents and like Wyatt's dad wants to see Troy's mom naked. So there's conflict <laughs> there. And and Troy's talking about how filthy of a mind Picard has. Like, I, I feel like the most genuine relationship in the whole episode from a romantic standpoint is like Troy and Picard because he's the only one who truly has feelings for her. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's not I don't think that the, the whole thing about uh, Wyatt's father wanting to see Laksana naked. I don't think that that's romantic. Right. He finds her attractive, if it's even true. Because, nah, he's just nasty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, L- Luxana, one of the reasons I love her character so much is Michelle Barrett's wonderful. And she's just this fun, outgoing, energetic, kind of outrageous personality that oh, like, that keeps, so good. People, keeps people on their heels, right? Like the things she says to Picard are just so fantastic. And, Carry my bags. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, I mean, she's there to kind of disrupt to, to make things complicated, to make things outrageous. And, um, you know, aside from the romantic aspect of it, this episode will always be important to me because it's her introduction. But yeah. And also when, when we're doing these like face off type episodes, we do need to slow down and, and hit the points of the episode. Cause we're just gliding past the entire like core plot 
which is like the introduction of Luxana. We have her weird silver plate face that gets teleported in. That's actually uh, Quark, which I was like, I oh shit, that's Quark. It's Armin Shimmerman. How weird is that? It's the yeah. only time he doesn't play a Ferengi, by the way. <laughs> of course. So is when he's a weird announcement box full of jewels. That thing is so strange. Should have been full of gold pressed latinum. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> wait wait mean, a second, Derek. Is that not how you proposed? It's not. It's not. I couldn't. I couldn't get Shimmerman into Kansas City on time. So. Oh man, I'm sorry. You could have gotten I, him late. <laughs> we have a no, podcast. No. Damn it. I, w- I wish, man. I wish. I'd love to talk to him. Um, no, uh, I proposed with uh, dinosaurs. The ABC that's, show? That's that's equally good, though. <laughs> Not the mama? <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, this is Luxana Troy's introduction, and, you know, we find out all about who she is and her personality, and she has, you know, she feels very confident in herself. She she puts herself very high up. She, you know, has no problem bossing anybody around, Picard especially. You know, and Picard feels the need to uh, placate to her, to... To be a part of that and and do what she wishes when he can because he's trying to be a good host, number one, because he is Picard and he's diplomatic, but also because it's the mother of Deanna Troy, one of his most trusted advisors. Yeah, and we should uh, throw out some fun facts about her that, I mean, any any devotee probably knows, but she, the actress is married or was married to Gene Roddenberry. Yes. And she voiced all of the computer voices uh, throughout all of the series until what, Enterprise? Um, let's see. So I believe she did some voice work on Enterprise, not the actual NX-01 ship computer. Mm. Um, and then she did do a voice in the 2009 Kelvin Timeline film. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, she died, unfortunately, before Into Darkness. Uh, but the plan, of course, was to include her because she has been in, had been in all of Star Trek. Um, also why there was a big fan push before discovery premiered to have uh, marina certis who plays deanna troy Luxana troy's daughter uh, have her be the voice of the computer in discovery as kind of a homage to michelle barrett oh that would have been cool yeah so it would have been really nice and uh, for those who also don't know michelle barrett was number one uh the first officer in the original pilot for star trek the cage he was she was uh, pike's first officer yep so, so there you go. That's that's Luxana Troy, a wonderful character, wonderful person, um, and uh, I, I just I love every episode she's in. She elevates. She's very much like Q in in that respect, uh, where she just elevates any scene that she happens to be in. We also know that as soon as you see her on screen, it's it's going to be a fun one. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to be a heavy episode. It's going to be a Luxana episode. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I always kind of like that aspect of her when, you know, she kind of just blatantly calls out people what they're mentally thinking now and then. And she's like, you know, life would just be so much simpler if you people were just direct with each other. And it's it's kind of a true point, isn't it? Half the problems in this world are people that we never people never give the full truth sometimes. And the walks out Troy's like, wait, you like her. If she likes you, just get on with it and move forward. And it's kind of it's fun. It's like I like that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, um, you know. But she's not particularly direct all the time either, because she likes to exaggerate. Oh yeah, she does. You know, so she likes to put her own spin on things. She likes to put her own, 
exaggeration and, and twist on things that are going on. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to know if it's true or not, but like when she's leaving the ship, she makes a comment about how the thoughts Picard are having are even, you know, uh, less, even less appropriate than uh, Wyatt's father was or whatever. And I just, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe that's where Picard's mind was. I don't know. Now, how much do you think uh, Patrick Stewart used his experiences with Luxana Troy to inform his role as uh, Professor Xavier? It's got to be at, at least at a percent all? there. No? You don't think <laughs> you so? Think? I mean, I'm not sure how. <laughs> She's psychic and she acted on those psychic impulses and, and he had to learn how to be psychic for a role. Mm. I bet he thought about her at least a little bit. Yeah. Maybe. Now there is play there with is me. A, <laughs> trying to have fun. Come on. There is a there is a fun continuity error in this episode, Haven. What's that? So uh, this episode was aired out of order, and um, uh, you in this in, order. <laughs> well, in, in in the previous episode, hide and Q, Deanna is visiting her mother on Beta Z. And in this episode, she mentions how she hasn't seen her mother in a long time. Yeah. Huh. It's because this episode was supposed to air before Hyde and Q. So just something kind of fun there. Well, or Troy was lying about visiting her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I like that. Where was she then? She's just hanging out on Riza? Probably. <laughs> Working on her tan. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I also thought it was interesting. I kept, I kept trying to, I, I didn't want to look it up because that's you know that's that's when you've given up on just trying to know who someone is. But uh, Wyatt, I recognized so well, but I couldn't couldn't place who he was or why I knew him. Um, he is the main baddie in the current season of I Zombie. Oh, so I've never actually watched I Zombie. Oh, I Zombie's so good. It looks good. It does look good. All those CW comic book shows are my like soap operas. It's a, so trashy, but it's so good. Hey, it's all good. I like it. I like it. I watch most of them. I'm I'm behind, but but yeah. So anyway, so that's Haven. Um, you know, the episode really focuses around uh, what love is you know supposed to be to different people, what your obligations may be to other people, regardless of your feelings, and the idea that you know romantic destiny can bridge entire star systems and writing <laughs> you're just not a romantic i guess uh no i am because my episode is more romantic even I, though i beg to differ equally everyone ends up less than ideal <laughs> um do we, we want to just go to mine or greg yeah, do you have let, any thoughts let, no let's uh we, we've heard Derek talk let's jump to jeremy's episode and I'll be honest, Jeremy, you kind of surprised me with your pick. I want to hear you out, because when you first said it, I immediately thought of it as a data episode. <laughs> so, take the, sh- take you know what, Jeremy, take the stage, and, uh, and th- as they say in Mortal Kombat, defend yourself. Or is that what Worf says? That's what Worf says. Yeah, I don't think that they say fight in Mortal Kombat. But, well, last night, my buddy, and I, <laughs> my buddy and I were talking gaming, and we were talking Mortal Kombat for like, for like three hours, so I apologize. Okay. Let the mech bar continue. Uh, yeah, honestly, I I made my pick. I mean, we make these picks before we watch the episodes, and I haven't seen season one in a million years, so I was kind of going by higher level synopsis. 
Um, and I remember this one was, well, so I saw Casablanca, uh, beginning to end for the first time about three or four weeks ago, um, at the Hollywood forever cemetery. And it was a big outdoor screening. It was super cool. Living in LA is rad. Um, but this, this whole episode is an homage to the movie Casablanca, um, straight up from the the title of the episode will always have paris which is uh episode 24 of season one air date may 2nd 1988 um the focus of it they start feeling these time tremors and they uh like right off the bat there's a fencing match and they do like a time loop and kind of repeat five seconds of the fencing match and uh with some character named dean who's never seen again kirk or uh Picard must have destroyed him and he just had to <laughs> resign in disgrace. Um, but uh, they track everything back to a planet called Pagos Minor uh, and speak to Paul Mannheim, who has uh, sent out the distress call. Um, turns out he has ripped a hole in space time, as you do with various experiments. And uh, but with. Uh, Looking into what's going on on Pagos Minor, uh, Picard gets reunited with, uh, what is her name? Something Mannheim. Anybody know? Wait, the, fem- the, the love interest Janice. or the doctor? Yeah, Janice, Janice. Mannheim. Yeah, okay. sorry. Some, for some reason, I was going to say the actual scientist guy. I was like, wait, <laughs> the romance is not with him. No, yeah. Uh, Dr. Mannheim is put in biostasis and, and he's kind of blinking in and out of, of kind of lucidity as he's been racked by time wiggles, whatever, whatever is happening with this that time rip. Um, but yeah, he's doing experiments on the nature of time and all that kind of hoo-ha uh, because there's a power source in the planetoid that he's built his lab into that gives him enough power um, that he can use these time gravity things to to blah blah blah, but uh, we're talking about romance here. So the big thing is this um, long lost love of Jean Luc Picard that dates back to when he was in Paris, um, something like twenty years ago. If I remember, they said it at some point in the I episode. I said twenty two years, if I remember right. Uh, fifteen, actually. Looking at the uh, notes here, only fifteen. Yeah. Mannheim left Earth 15 years before to perform experiments on nonlinear time. Well, yeah, no, but, but Picard left before that. Picard's, Picard left 22 years. 22 years, okay. Yeah. Anywho, um, so he was madly in love with this woman, but uh, they were supposed to meet this one last night in Paris, and it never quite worked out. Um, and he's he's held this this flame for her for so long and, and has like the exact uh, Parisian day and like, you know, it's specifically April 9th, a warm spring day. He gives the, the location of the cafe des artistes uh, and they go into the holotech and it's, he just kind of wallows in that one moment of lost love. Um, and everyone kind of is is on pins and needles as they kind of revolve around him and see what, like, if this is a big kind of, like, weak spot for him or if he's if he's hurt to see her. And 
and he kind of keeps his his standard stiff upper lip and and deals with all of the the sci-fi hoo-ha and and dealing with the Mannheim effect and seeing themselves displaced in time and all that fun stuff. Um, eventually, uh, Mannheim wakes back up and they're able to get the control codes and data is able to go into his lab and and drop the uh, you know the MacGuffin into the the what's it. <laughs> he drops uh negative wait what's it called uh dark matter uh from some weird canister uh into the time rip which is a very like doctor whovian looking just tear in space time uh and they fix everything and everything goes back to normal but not before um what is her name again i keep forgetting janice or janice Janice. I mean, it's it's J E N I C E. Yeah. So whatever. Yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Mannheim. Janice. I thought it was. I thought it was Janice. Okay. Anywho, Janice uh, joins Picard on the uh, holodeck, and they have kind of a nice little moment. Um, but yeah, it pretty much comes down to "We'll Always Have Paris," which is the name of the episode. They they both get to hold on to this romantic moment and this. Um, tryst they had at a certain times in their life and and kind of go on their separate ways uh, which i mean the the romance piece of it a lot of that i feel like in my mind is conflated with the fact that i just watched casablanca like very very recently so there's there's a lot more emotion and kind of charged sentimentality and that here they don't hit it quite as hard um but you do get a very strong look into kind of the emotional inner workings of Jean-Luc Picard, which is something we don't see very often. And when we do, it's, it's always like, it's not much, but it's, it's big for him. Cause it's, it's just, you don't get it that much. So the, the rarity makes it valuable. Well, and that's one of the fun things about this episode is there's kind of like three MacGuffins. Cause you have the romance interest from Picard's past. You've got the time machine, not time machine, uh, like the parallel time vortex system or whatever that Mannheim was working on. And then you have data's use of antimatter. So it's like three MacGuffins all tied together. We don't get, <laughs> we don't get that too often because Jeremy, like you said, it's always usually that one thing. Yeah. But the nice thing about Picard's relationship with Mrs. Mannheim, Janice, uh, is that it's, it's, it's a non-issue. Like from the beginning, he kind of goes to this thing just to kind of, think about it and he's always very cordial with her it's not like they sneak off and make out or there's nothing really like charged sexually between them it's just nice and and they just kind of have this history together that they tap into and it's but it's just like i've you know i've got a few girlfriends in my past and it's and it's always nice when you can come to that point where it's so far in the rear view that it's just like remember how we used to be in love that was nice. Have <laughs> have fun. Have a nice day with your husband. This, but that's not really romance. That's looking back on it and maybe having regrets about decisions you made and what could have been. You know, but that's the whole episode is really retrospectively that they had feelings for each other. I don't think it's regret, though. I think it's an understanding that there was a love that they shared because when when it comes down to asking why he didn't come, they it's just a big joke between them. He says, "Oh, I got a you know 
I got held up in traffic or whatever. And they laugh about it and they just move on. Um, like all because he tells her that he was scared and then she's upset. She's like, well, I didn't want the truth. And then he's like, oh, okay, well, and then he makes up some jokes, right? Because he's trying to play it off. But oh, she he wasn't tells that her upset. That, it was like two well, seconds. But he he says that he was scared, right? He was scared of being tied down. He was scared of what their relationship could mean for the future and what that could mean for his career. I mean, so he he has a dilemma. He is torn between did he make the right decision or didn't he? Was it the right decision to focus on his career or would it have been the right decision to focus on her? So for him, See, it's think, a dilemma. I think the first half of the show, that's that's what they were trying to build the suspense of. But the climax was was when she said, oh, I don't really care what you thought because that's her saying that was a million years ago. None of that matters anymore. We're both totally different people now. So well, that's I mean, that's fine, but that's even less romantic. No, it's 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 acknowledging that there was a a deep passion and a love at the time and a hard choice that he had to make, but he made that choice and they've moved on from it, but there's still like the love exists between them, it just exists in the past. And they they still love each other. It's not like there's any animosity there, but it's just it's just history. I mean, I agree that it's history. I agree that they still care for each other, obviously. It just seems more like it's an awkwardness because they know what happened versus them having any romantic interest in each other. It's well, not... it, was, it was awkward up until the point where they were alone in a room together and addressed it. And then they both just made a joke out of it. And then they moved on from that. That's That's what I think is so sweet about this episode. Again, like I didn't. I didn't go through the entirety of these two episodes before choosing this. I cho- chose this kind of uh, blindly and like there's certainly more aspects of romanticism in your episode, but I don't know in my eye, in my mind, this relationship between these two former lovers that had a beautiful past together, but they've both moved on, but they can both share it on the holodeck and kind of just have a nice moment where they kind of reopen the folder titled our love together and just let it wash over them for a second and then close it and smile at each other and go back about their lives. There's something very sweet about that, that there's, there's just a part of these people that they can just, you know, hold on to that and, and touch it every once in a while and, and feel its warmth and then put it away. Yeah. I mean, I I think it definitely shows a sense of maturity for those two characters and, and, and all of that. I'm just not sure that it's romantic. Well, then you don't think Casablanca is romantic. And that's one of the best love stories of the, the golden stage and screen. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not sure I agree with that assessment. I love Casablanca. I think, <laughs> I think it's different. I think that what the characters are going through in Casablanca is is just innately a more romantic situation versus in this situation here, Picard for uh, most of the episode is kind of off kilter and dealing with, you know, internal emotional conflict and things of that nature and wishes this guy wasn't in the picture, you know? Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that extreme. The thing is, I don't, I don't feel like Picard, 
at the by the end of the episode, I don't feel like Picard regrets anything, and I believe that he still just wants to be on the Enterprise, and that's that's a big difference between that and longing for her. I don't think he longs for her. I think he thinks he did the right thing, and you know maybe it's because he has some interest in Doctor Crusher, but that's rarely explored at all at any actual level. Well, no, like like Humphrey Bogart's character in Casablanca, it's it's the job. The job is the most important thing, and and kind of keeping moving and and staying to your primary objective. Um, yeah, I don't, I didn't see that that awkwardness. I felt like that was what other people, other people walked on, you know, eggshells because they were worried that he was affected by this uh, woman from his past, but he wasn't because he knows he made the right choice. But like I said, he just likes to kind of uh, reminisce a little bit. And it was a sweet moment that they had. And then it was over. Greg, do you have any thoughts? I mean, Casablanca is a great film, but the romance doesn't hold up to Naked Gun. I'm just going to say it. Uh, wow. Oh, Naked come, Gun? Come Naked on. Gun. If you don't, if you can't admire the, the romance of Naked Gun movies, then what's the point, right? I mean, I, I love Naked Gun movies, but I don't. I don't really remember them for their romance. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, come on. Weren't they just no, like I mean, a series of dumb gags? Well, there is the giant full body condoms. I remember that scene. I mean, safety is well. important, Derek. Safety is important. I don't think I've watched a Naked Gun movie since like 1992. I mean, those movies were my introduction to who O.J. Simpson was, and later I had to find out all of the stuff that happened. <laughs> uh, I was like, that guy? Really? That guy? Um, so let's let's move on from that topic fast fast as we can. Fair um, enough. Um, Greg, continue. I I do understand, and I can even appreciate where Jeremy's coming from about kind of like the romance that's lost but not forgotten, but you moved on. And Picard's always kind of had that dedication to the job thing. And then, but then there was a. I'm trying to think. Picard's had other romances where he's like legitimately missed them. Uh, what's her name? Jean Grey. That episode. Uh, yeah. Love that yeah. episode. That, well, that, that was a yeah. great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's right when Star Trek Next Generation really started hitting its stride, too. Yeah. What like everybody season was season three, season four? Yeah, that's when people were like, the episode finishes and they're like, damn it, I can't wait till next week. They weren't saying that so much during season one all the time. Not quite. Not quite. Yeah, these were a little rough. They were. They We got through them. But I don't, I don't want to spoil everything because I have to give my final judgment here in a minute or two. So. Um, so, so Jeremy, do you have anything else that you want to discuss for We'll Always Have Paris? Uh, no, I think the I've made the case as well as I'm going to make it. It's a it's a fun episode. It's it's very well written. Um, I think the plot progression of it is very, very steady and kind of keeps the the romantic tension between uh, Picard and Mrs. Mannheim um, as as a faux tension, which is like it it takes some writing skill to do that where you suspect something is going to go one way. And then when there's finally the point of conflict, both of the people engaged in that conflict are just like, Oh, there's no actual conflict here. Oh, you're right. There's no conflict here. This is fun. Nice to see you. Goodbye. It's just, (laughs) it's, it's just, it's a building of tension and then just a sweet release where there's just nothing, nothing that bad. It's just, everything's kind of nice and it's, it's a sweet moment. 
I will say that this episode is a great example of the t- types of titles that Picard centric episodes tend to get. You know, um, we'll always have Paris or the big goodbye, very kind of dramatic, um, dramatic episode titles fit Picard quite well, I think. They kind of there's, almost sound like Dixon Hill novels. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly like that. And there's yes. this fun reference to Casablanca where he says that he's going to take them to the uh, the Blue Parrot at the end of the episode. Right. I like that. And yeah. kind of reflects that whole, like, uh, we got the beginnings of a beautiful friendship, and it's just, like, a nice, it's a nice episode. It's just, everything's nice. And Troy's buying. And Troy's buying, yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's all I have to say. Yep. So may- maybe, Greg, maybe it's your turn to uh, to sum things up. Well, to sum this all up, the best romance of season one, the episodes we chose were Haven, where there's like a tri-romance thing that's not a thing because it's kind of got like mystical powers in it. And then there's uh, We'll Always Have Paris. Where the romance is a little bit more of a subplot, but it's kind of that love that's lost. And I get it, because I do agree with what Jeremy said, where you have those past relationships that you just never forget. Like, doesn't mean they ended poorly, or doesn't mean they ended well. It just, they kind of, they kind of burned out, just for whatever reason. And in this case, Picard just pursued his career, and she kind of did her thing. And she's like, that's fine, you didn't show up, I moved on anyways. Yeah. I okay. This is this is a weird sixty forty vote. A sixty forty vote. Okay. Because one episode for me is going to win the purpose of what we're discussing. And for best romance, my vote unfortunately makes Derek two and zero in this contest because he beat Woo! me last week. But I don't believe in the no win scenario. Yeah, you don't believe in the no win scenario. But I got it. Jeremy has sold me. Because before, I didn't really care for this, for We'll Always Have Paris as much. I always liked it. But listening to Jeremy talk, it's like what we did the intro. It's a better episode overall. Yeah. Than Haven. And it's almost not even close anymore. So, Jeremy, you went, you get, you get a, a half point for that. That's fine. Uh, um, it's still, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it almost makes me wonder if we didn't pick The Naked Now, if that would have been a best romance episode. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, right? Because you have Tasha and Data at a minimum. That's, and that's lust. A pretty... That's not romance. <laughs> I, well, you can have romantic, lustful engagements. There's different types of romance. It, it impacted Data's positronic net so much he carried around a picture of her forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the main thing that pushed me over the edge for Haven is listening to both of you talk about Loaxana Troy because the introduction of her... They carry that subplot for seven seasons of the whole her flirting with Picard. And they pull <laughs> and that I don't into, know. That... She's on an episode of DS9, isn't she? Where she like she's talks on... about yeah, Picard. great, great episode with Odo. Yeah, and, they have a, a wonderful moment. And I think it's another example where when you get actors and actresses on your shows and movies that are just on a different playing field than many other people. Like, Majel Barrett and Patrick Stewart acted the hell out of their parts. Oh, yeah. To the point where when they're on screen together, they have a weird charisma, even when they're teasing each other, where you almost are led to believe that they've had a relationship for 30 years, and it's just natural to them. 
Well, it just lets all the air out of Picard's balloon. And it's like the only time you get to see him treated like a human being and not this paragon of military naval excellence that he that he actually is. She doesn't <laughs> give a shit about any of that. She's like just some guy her daughter knows and and who <laughs> thinks about her in a sensual way. Yeah, because I know people might say, well, you know, Captain, Captain's powerful, women like confidence. She doesn't care about that. She's she's had relationships with like ambassadors and presidents and all this. Um, she's the daughter to the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Rick's, heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed. Exactly. <laughs> I love that she always has to <laughs> she, say that. That's usually what you know she would open up. That's her insult back to people. Just her uh, her titles. Yeah. She was Daenerys Targaryen before there was Daenerys Targaryen. I mean, basically, yeah. She's the the Warner sister. She's Princess Angelina Francesca Banana Fana Fofesca the <laughs> Third. <laughs> oh man, I never made that connection before, and now I can't unsee that. So they're basically the same character. That's fantastic. And I like know, it. And you know what I love is Majel Baird is kind of that Star Trek royalty. You know, she supported Gene Roddenberry even when things weren't great between them. She supported the show. She supported the development. She supported the creation of Next Generation and all the other all the other episodes and such. Well, she's the, the voice of like future technology as a whole. She is the precursor to what I'm sure inspired Siri and Cortana and Alexa, the ability to well, talk to machines and hear it back in a female voice. Like she is the paragon of all of it. They actually have a phonetic dictionary of her voice of course they do and um they there have like i i believe it was google was trying to get that for their voice product (laughs) um and man if i could set up a computer tomorrow that was voice interactive with michelle's voice i mean that's what i would do that's what i want like some people want jarvis i want michelle Barrett. That's what I want. I'm GLaDOS from Portal. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. To each their own. Uh, I, I would prefer Major Barrett. GLaDOS is always out to kill me. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm not sure I need that in my normal life. Well, let's see. We got uh, we got a little bit of extra time at the end of this one. Do we want to try and brainstorm uh, the concept for for the next one? Well, so we actually are supposed to have a guest next week. Oh, um, and we uh, we booked this guest when we had a totally different format in mind. So I am still talking to her to make sure that she still wants to come on next week, um, and she's supposed to get back to me tomorrow. So um, I'm not sure how that's going to shake out quite yet because if we're going to have a guest on then we might have her help pick the topic with us um and and see how that goes so it might change things up a little bit but we're still going to continue on with one more episode of season one where i get to be the judge well hopefully two more episodes then otherwise you don't have much to judge what do you mean what well you said one more episode we have to watch two to judge which one is the best? Oh, right? I, I meant oh, one, one more, more podcast. podcast. Sorry. Yeah. One more podcast. episode. Yes. yes. And then uh, after that, we're going to, we've decided we're going to stick with TNG for a little while. So we're going to move on to season two of TNG and do three more fun topic. Me- uh, Mechba episodes. Mechba. 
So which which season is Pulaski? Season two. Ah, shit. All right. So we'll we'll have to do best Pulaski episode because it's the only season we can do that in. So we'll have to do that. Best Pulaski episode is the one where she is featured the least. So I guess maybe we should have done best Tasha episode, but, um, you know, oh, well. Of course, I think the best Tasha episode is not in season one. So, well, then we can do it then. But uh, yeah, so we will we'll finish up season one next week with uh, two more episodes, give or take, with uh, hopefully a guest. And then we'll move on to season two of TNG after that. So remember to, to vote on our polls. The polls posted on Twitter uh, a couple hours after this episode at Heroes Podcasts or at Red Shirts Pod. Once we get enough followers, we'll, we'll be doing it mainly on the Red Shirts Pod, but it's a new account. So we have to get people to follow us over there. Yes. So follow us on Red Shirts Pod and uh, like subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review, all the good yes, stuff. Yes, absolutely. Five-star reviews really help us. We, we are an Apple podcast. iTunes is still the number one way that people listen to podcasts. So that would be the place to do it if you are so inclined. And if you do leave us a review, I mean, just regular ratings are great. But if you leave us a review, I promise we will we will mention it on the show regardless of how many stars it is. Um, of course, if it's like low stars, we'll, we'll probably poke fun a little bit, but, uh, but please help, help people find our show by doing that. And just tweet um, at us. We're all pretty bored. Yeah. We're, we're on Twitter all the time. Tweet at us. Uh, you can find me at the Star Trek dude. I am Zen Munkin on Twitter. And I am the underscore Bittersteel on Twitter as well. Fantastic. And we are Red Shirts and Runabouts on the Heroes Podcast Network. Anything else, guys? I think that's it. Nope. I'm going to go wrap up my night listening or watching some Fallout 76 videos. Oh, I'm going to go get dinner and then do that, too. (laughs) I am going to bed. So good night, everybody. Live long and prosper. Out here. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us, as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows, at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.